Welcome to American Education FM, everybody. I'm Dr. Sean Brooks. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. All right, this is a bit of a different episode, and there's going to be, of course, many similarities between some previous episodes that I've, of course, produced over the years here and this one, but this one is special for the sake of the local election where I live in Oxford, Ohio, which also happens to be the town of Miami University. This is in Butler County, Ohio, if anyone was curious. If you're a regular listener of the show, I hope that you still give this a listen, even though some of the names and the individuals that even maybe I've made mention of in the past may not be that relevant to you or where you live. However, the patterns of behavior are exactly the same across the board, across our entire nation. And this is, I think, what numerous people need to be made aware of. This episode, however, is specifically for, again, the people in the town where I live in the surrounding township and anybody who gets their ears on this and understands that what I'm going to do in this episode is take a objective approach to the individuals who are running for the Talawanda City School Board, along with the individuals that are running for city council in the town of Oxford. Now, here's why I'm doing this. I'm not just doing this because I think that it's important and there's an upcoming election and a variety of other reasons. I'm doing this because the local university newspaper, the Miami Student, has taken it upon themselves, essentially, to start a podcast called People and Policies. And they say that they are specifically focused on Oxford's local election cycle, featuring conversations with candidates about various issues relevant to students, faculty, and residents. Here's the problem. At no point during any of these interviews that I have listened to, which, by the way, I will link in the description below of this episode the Spotify web address where you can listen to every single one of these episodes, but in no way whatsoever have the elephants in the room been brought up. Now, the reason that they're not bringing up the largest elephants in the room with these individuals is because the people asking the questions don't understand what's going on. Again, they are naive Miami University students, and I am sorry about that. But that is is the case, and those are the facts. So I'm going to play some audio from a few of these episodes to give you a taste of not just the naive questions that are asked, and the fact that there's no follow-up questions that are asked, but also you're going to hear directly from these individuals who are running for office from themselves, and you're going to be able to hear what they say, how they say it, and what they deem to be important. There is a thread that runs throughout this entire thing, though, almost regardless of who is running for any of these positions, is there is a complete lack of accountability among the individuals who currently hold these positions and are considered the incumbents and, of course, are running again. But that would also require them knowing what is really going on in the world and then addressing it, which, of course, unfortunately involves their own participation and has certainly within the last three-plus years. Every single individual, again, running for office this time around, was previously involved in the largest depopulation agenda that has ever occurred in the history of our country, specifically regarding the COVID bioweapon shot rollout. I'm going to dive into this specifically 
and in detail. Now, with that said, the only reason that people went along with it is because they too are brainwashed. They think that it's real. It's not real. None of it was real. There is no COVID. The tests are fake. They test for nothing. They are predetermined and they are poisonous COVID tests. COVID does not exist. It was a manufactured biological weapon that was introduced into the 2019 flu shots. So if someone got more severely sick in the latter half of 2019, the media told you that you had COVID. You did not have COVID. You injected yourself with a biological weapon. On top of that, what did they do then next? They introduced at the latter half of 2020 the actual biological weapon that they wanted you to take that would lead to your sickness and ultimately your death, which is the COVID shot itself. People took multiple rounds of this without even thinking. They took multiple rounds of it without asking themselves any questions whatsoever about its validity, its veracity, anything. They just blindly went along with it. And every single elected person who currently holds office, and even the ones that are running against the ones that currently hold office, they all went along with it too, by and large. I say by and large because I don't have their medical records and I have no proof that they did or did not go along with it. But let's face it, the people who currently hold these positions and currently hold office and are running again to maintain that office and maintain that position, they went along with it. They believe things that are not real. The complete destruction of towns, cities, and the education state across our entire nation is coming at the hands of the brainwashed. It's coming at the hands of the people who believe lies. The people who are jabbed, the people who are sick, the people who are dying. These are the ones making all of these decisions. Now, I'm going to be upfront with everybody, too. My audience knows this because I say it with regularity. They've heard me say it before, but I'm going to say it again so that if anybody new is listening to this, they have a full, a full grasp of where I stand on all of these issues right up front. I am a full abolitionist to the fullest extent. We have to abolish the American K-12 school system as you know it. It needs to be done away with, and it should never return. The same is true with all of these bureaucratic positions that exist, not just through the education system, but certainly throughout city councils and numerous other government entities. Oxford City Council hires more people than it needs to. That means they're wasting money. They have a very specifically driven political agenda, which is all based on lies. I'm going to go through every single one. But you have to understand the depths of the brainwashing here. You have to understand the lifelong brainwashing. And it has been lifelong. If you've ever seen the movie The Matrix, you know what I'm talking about, or you have a pretty good idea, maybe. Unless you thought again that that was just some shoot up, shoot 'em up action movie, it was not. It was a documentary, 
and it has to do with one's frame of mind. We were all born into this matrix of lies and deception. And it was purposely strong, on purpose, again, to control us from cradle to grave. But once you start learning about what the deception is, then you start to wake up out of the matrix and then you find yourself in the real world. It is uncomfortable to be in the real world, but I assure you it is better than living in the matrix. So let's go back in time first, and I'll consistently reference again the upcoming ballot and a few anomalies with this ballot, and even again, how there are some certain things that that you can do to send a message. You can't necessarily get rid of everybody who is on this ballot or who currently holds a position because no one is running against them. They're theoretically running unopposed, certainly at the city council level. But let me first reference the ballot, and then I'm going to go back in time, and I'm also going to play audio from city council members so that you can hear what they actually say, and then I'll break down that what they're saying is a lie, because they believe things that are not real. First of all, in the city of Oxford, in Oxford, Ohio, there are four individuals running for city council, and you're only allowed to vote for three. If you choose to vote for three, now this is important, you don't have to vote for any of them. That's number one. Number two, you don't have to vote for two people or three people. You don't have to do that either. You can vote for anybody you want. And I've already voted, and I don't normally vote early, but I did this time around. And next year during the presidential election, if that ends up going down uh, at all, let alone a a particular way, which I've covered on the show here, and we'll continue to cover numerous avenues of that in this particular election locally, I only voted for one person. Now let me go through each individual here. First of all, there's a John Railnavisky, if I'm saying that right, probably not, my apologies. I don't know anything about this individual who is running. What I do know is that this person apparently is new to city council. They may have been on other councils or other committees, I'm not sure, but there's that individual. Then you have Mike Smith. Mike Smith is the former mayor of this town. He's already sat on city council. There's also, I need to mention, a rather interesting avenue of thought regarding the kinds of people that run for these positions, and Mike Smith exemplifies that kind of mentality. An individual who runs for these particular offices and then leaves and then wants to come back, in my humble opinion, is pathetic. They're pathetic because they need these kinds of committees in order to feel like they are important as people. And without them, they feel inadequate. They are controllers. They have to control things, have their hands on things all the time manipulate things, move things around, and then fill their heads with a false ego of having some self-importance of some kind. In the words of Dr. Thomas Sowell, again, I'm paraphrasing him, but he said, the people who love meetings and love committees have no business controlling anything. He's 100% right. Now you have the former mayor running again to be a member of city council again. That's Mike Smith. 
he did not get my vote. Nor will he ever. Then there's William B. Snavely, or Bill Snavely. Bill Snavely, too, is a radical of the highest order. He is a Marxist. He is a Bolshevik. If you don't understand the history of Marxism and Bolshevism, I recommend looking it up or continuing to listen to this show. You'll learn a great deal about it. It is violent. It is militant. It is sneaky. It is deceptive. It is filled with lies. Bill Snavely is a slanderer of the highest order. He has lied about endless things around town. He has lied about endless people around town. And he believes that whatever comes out of his mouth is the truth. Finally, there is Jason Bracken. Jason Bracken never used to live here. He wasn't from here. And that's not necessarily, again, indicative of somebody who would be bad in one of these positions. But what is his agenda? His agenda, too, is is a Marxist Bolshevik agenda. He does not stand for the Pledge of Allegiance. He sits down. Jason Bracken has openly stated in city council meetings that natural immunity does not exist. He has said this with his own mouth. Reading his Facebook pages is also highly entertaining. Back in 2020, he said, and I'm paraphrasing him, but he said very closely to this quotation, all alpha males should be exterminated. That's what Jason Bracken said. He's been sitting on city council for what, the last four years? Well, he's running again to maintain the same position. Here's the irony of all of this also. Jason Bracken claims to be a PhD candidate at Miami University in the fields of biology and environmental sciences. Or, or those related subjects. And he believes that natural immunity does not exist. Every single one of the individuals that is running for city council that I just mentioned, they are at least two shots deep in COVID shots that they themselves have taken. They're probably three shots deep. I don't expect these people to live very long, nor should you. Again, I'll get into the biological weapon aspect of the COVID shots a little bit later, but I just wanted to mention their names, and then I'm going to play audio again from three of these individuals, Mike Smith, Bill Snavely, and Jason Bracken, and this audio again comes directly from the People and Policies podcast that again is put together by individuals associated with the Miami student at Miami University. Here's what I want to do first, though. I want to revisit something from history. And again, I'm going to bounce around here with these three individuals regarding, again, a little bit of COVID and then, of course, the wasteful spending and the things that they believe to be real of which are not, like climate change and net zero and carbon neutral and all these other made-up terms. And I'll tell you what those terms really mean. But first, I've referenced this audio with regularity on my show, but I've never played it. Now I'm going to play it. This is Bill Snavely, the current mayor, running again to maintain his mayoral position, or at least a position on city council. And this is him on CNN three years ago as a guest on Don Lemon's show. 
Don Lemon is no longer a TV host. He was referred to as the dumbest man on television. And the mayor of this town, Bill Snavely, was on his show. Now, why was he on his show? The video and the audio that you're going to hear right now is titled College Students Host Party Despite Testing Positive for COVID-19. Now, in the town where we live, during the COVID lie, it was the most Marxist and Bolshevik tactics that were employed that put a stranglehold on numerous individuals and their businesses. This only existed because of Bill Snavely, Jason Bracken, and everybody else who sits on city council. They are responsible for the collapse of some businesses in Oxford, unemployment, and a variety of other things, lost wages, you name it. All because they put an ordinance in place that is unconstitutional, certainly in my opinion, and I'm not the only one that shares that, even Tate Prouse, another Oxford citizen who I have had a guest on this show before detailing all of this, and I will link his episode in the description below so that he can talk about the lawsuits or lawsuit that he put on all of the members of city council, including the chief of police. And now, of course, he's taking it to a higher court to have them rule on it. But because of those policies that they put in place in those city ordinances, they sought, as board, as council members and as a mayor, to fine individuals upwards of $1,000 for gathering and freely assembling. To find someone for doing such a thing as an elected official is a crime. This is unconstitutional, without a doubt. And simply voting for somebody else doesn't fix the problem. Voting them out doesn't fix the problem. There's been no accountability on any of this. There's been no admission of guilt, no admission of fault. And the reason that that has happened is, again, because they don't know what they're talking about. They can't admit fault to something if they don't know that they're brainwashed. They'll never admit wrongdoing if they don't think that the thing that they're doing is wrong or is a lie. So that's where we are now. That's the state of mental affairs here. And you cannot fix this. These people will expire because of their own decisions that they have made and the fact that they have injected themselves with something now that they believe is making them better. By the way, all of the individuals running for city council, certainly Bill Snavely and Jason Bracken, continue to wear masks, have been sick multiple times since taking the shots. And you would think that that would be enough to trick, or not to trick them, but to at least convince them that they've been tricked. Now again, I want you to hear the way in which Bill Snavely talks in this, in this interview here. He's even laughing about trying to get everybody in town to comply. He also falsely believes that everybody in town agrees with him and agrees with the ordinance that he had in place at the time. That is, that is false. It's completely false. Unfortunately, a lot of people went along with a lie in this town. That's their problem. If they lost money, that's on them. If they com- Again, if they complied, that's, that's their fault. They should know better. 
And if a mask ordinance ever comes down the pike ever again, well, they need to not comply. So this was from three years ago. The mayor of Oxford, Ohio, Bill Snavely, on Don Lemon's show on CNN. Give this a listen. It's about five minutes long in three, two, one. More than 42,000 COVID-19 infections have been reported among students, faculty, and staff at colleges and universities nationwide. That's according to a CNN count. But video is showing that some students might not be taking the pandemic seriously. Body cam footage obtained by CNN from the Oxford Police Department shows a group of students from Miami University in Ohio throwing a party over Labor Day weekend. What's up, guys? Who lives here? Comfort, disabled, Milligan Road, Yankee Road, called out on fire by Battalion 110, going to be in the roundabout, causing traffic issues. They're going to need an assistance. I'm assuming you probably know where I want to talk to you. Just too many people. Well, do you know what the, the ordinance is? Ten people? Yeah. yeah. I mean, you had, how many people live in the house? Eight, eight people you know, live here. Okay, so kind of how it reads is if you have eight people in the house, that means you can really only have two people over. Two over. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, we can get everyone. It's kind of yeah. handcuffed here. You know what I mean? Yep. How many people are in the house? Uh, like ten of them just came by, but they're leaving. They're going somewhere else. Twenty. Twenty people inside. Yeah, you might want to start clearing them out, man. I've never seen this before. There's an input on the computer that you tested positive for COVID? Yes. When was this? This was on a week ago. Are you supposed to be quarantining? Yeah, that's why I'm at my house. Do you have other people here and you, you're positive for COVID? How many other people have COVID? They all have it. Everybody has it? And everybody over here has it? Increase the level of... I think two people there, too. With EMS 6150 Fairfield Road, 40 year old female. That's what we're trying to prevent. Yeah, I know. We want to keep this town open. I don't know what the issue is. Yeah, that's why I was staying home. I just walked down. Too. I know, but there were probably. Seven people, seven or eight people that left your house when you told them to leave. So you're not quarantining if you're mixing with other people. So everybody here has it. Oh my gosh. Here's your ID bag. Wow. Probably not the only campus. Not so many tested positive, but partying. We see college kids partying, not socially distancing all the time. And here's a perfect example of it. William Snavely is a vice mayor of Oxford, Ohio. My mayor, thank you. <laughs> I mean, I was a college student once, I get it. <laughs> but really? Yeah, uh, I had the same reaction you did. And I think most of the people in this town did as well. When you see the, the students admitting that he tested positive for COVID a week before, knew about the ordinance against large gatherings, yet and still they're having a party and there are other people there who are positive. I don't, I am told because, you know, they covered the video, but there's no masks, no social distancing. What was your reaction? Um, I, I think most people in our town were appalled by it. Uh, there is a mask ordinance in our town that we passed. There's also a mass gathering uh, ordinance that we passed on August 18th. And so, you know, there's we've done what we can do, and the police are trying their best. Uh, it's not always working. It's tough when you're that age because 
You think you're grown, especially if you're a male, your brain's not actually fully developed yet. I'm just, it's, it, I'm not lying. It's a truth. According, it's, according to the police report obtained by CNN, Oxford police cited six of the men who were at that house party. And here's what police told CNN. Oh, sorry. I'm sorry. I thought that was a soundbite. It's a quote. Police said, we would encourage Miami University students and Oxford residents alike to practice all the proper preventative measures in avoiding the spread of COVID-19. We want to curb the numbers of COVID in our city and parties like this are not helping and are not acceptable. So the fines, I understand, start at $500. Is that enough to discourage this kind of behavior? Well, that's a really good question. Uh, the first offense is $500. The second offense is $1,000. I think the real enforcement comes that these are reported to the university. The university then says that they will uh, have disciplinary procedures against any of those students. So far, there are, let's see, 141 pending cases, but we have not had anyone actually suspended that I'm aware of. What about expulsion? I mean, you're putting people's lives in danger. Well, in egregious cases, they can do that as well. But that's not up to the city, obviously. That's up to the university. Okay, but has anyone been charged, any of those students charged $500? Yes. Yes, we've had 73 citations and six mass gathering citations. Are so some of those citations are, they gonna get are littering and replaced. Are they going to pay those citations, the $500, or are they going to go to court and then the judge is going to say, you don't have to pay it? Because and then, well that done. Solve that anything. remains to be seen. <laughs> that remains to be seen. Expulsion. They should be expelled. Okay, let's break this down one step at a time. The COVID tests are predetermined. If it's the Binax Now tests that have the little line on them, they are predetermined, which means you can run them under water at your faucet and it will either test positive or it will test negative. You can put anything you want on them and they will already be predetermined outcomes. You can't create a test for something that does not exist. There's no COVID, never existed. I explained it earlier. And the tests are faulty. Now, this brings into question one more thing from a biological standpoint that I have to mention here. It begs the question, well, Sean, how is it then that people get sick from one another? My listening audience on a consistent basis knows the answer to this question. The reason that people become diseased or diseased and uneasy is because they put poison in their body or they are physically around people who have disrupted immune systems from being poisoned. It is not coughing and sneezing that causes illness or the transmission of illness. This has been proven time and time again over 120 years ago. The term is electromagnetism. That's how people become sick. It's no different than the way that your body feels when you hear something that's uncomfortable or you walk into a room knowing that there are people in that room that you don't like, that you don't want to see, and you don't want to hear. And you get all those feelings and all that cellular motion in your body. If you experience that with regularity, 
you will become ill. It's no different than being around sick people. They don't have to cough on you. They don't have to sneeze on you. That's not how, it's not spit and snot that transmits illness. It is being around them. Now, you have individuals again throughout this entire time who tested positive using a fake test and they believed that they were ill when they weren't. They had no symptoms. So what did they do? What did all of these elected officials, politicians, news media, and so on and so forth come up with to justify that position? They came up with a non-existent term, which is asymptomatic. Asymptomatic doesn't exist. That's a way of saying a person is sick, but they don't show symptoms. That's retarded. There's no such thing. Asymptomatic is fake. Just like COVID is fake, just like the tests are fake. The only thing that is very real is the propaganda push to scare people, threaten people, and ultimately get them to inject themselves with a biological weapon multiple times that will be the cause of their death. Don Lemon is responsible for this. Bill Snavely, the current mayor of Oxford, Ohio, is responsible for this. They are responsible for this. And at the end of that, what did you hear? You heard Don Lemon say he wants them expelled. All students that don't go along with the lie need to be expelled. And Bill Snavely laughed. That right there, that clip, is his entire existence in a nutshell. It is that simple. Now, that was from three years ago. I want you to hear Bill Snavely today on the People in Policies podcast, and I'm going to play just a couple of audio messages from this. Give this a listen very quickly, and I will come in on the other end. In three, two, one. So we've discussed a lot of topics today. Uh, what, in your opinion, is the most important issue facing Oxford today? That's hard. I would say it's a, it's a kind of a flip between housing and climate action. Sure. Climate action is an imperative for everyone on the planet. Yeah. And we're a small city, but we can do our part, and we have to not take our eyes off the ball. Housing is so important here because we have so many students living off campus and they and the landlords have set up a system. I say they because they pay it, landlords because they charge it. They have huge rental rates that price everyone else out yeah. and they provide so much income that those property owners buy more and then they have built apartment complexes, and there's all this uh, going to people who are students and who come in for nine months and then go out. People who live year-round, it's really hard, and yeah. that affects commerce as well. If you wanted to open a small business and you went to Hamilton, where there's about three or four times as many citizens yeah. and people who could, could be potential customers mm -hmm. for the same storefront on high street you would probably pay about five or six hundred dollars in hamilton per month and in oxford you might pay 15 to two thousand wow. that is crazy and then you have to make it through the summer yeah 
Exactly. You know, so it's really hard for business. Uh, it's certainly hard for people who are on lower incomes and fixed incomes to try and figure out how the heck do I live in Oxford? Yeah. When I first came here, almost everyone who worked at Miami University lived in Oxford. It's a pretty small percentage now, really? unfortunately. Commuting and from Cincinnati they area, Hamilton? commute from Westchester, from Cincinnati, oh, from wow. Hamilton, from Middletown. And they drive in every day and drive out every day, wow. which is not good for the environment. It's not good for them. And it's, it's because we don't have the affordability here that we need to have. Yeah, absolutely. Well, is there anything else you would like to discuss today? I would just say that I hope that people go out and vote. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, students have sometimes asked the question, well, should I be voting here or be voting at home? And I would say, where do you see your locus being? And you're here nine months out of the year, so this is your primary residence, and you should vote. You can register to vote. There is a voter registration drive going on by the League of Women Voters, mm -hmm. and they will be uptown at every event. And get yourself registered. Absolutely. There's yeah. flyers Whether all you vote here too. or at home. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. There's a lot of action on campus, too, relating to that. So Absolutely. That group is doing a great job engaging students in local voting. Okay, let's get into it. First of all, he actually started before that last audio clip talking about his involvement in Ukraine and how the city of Oxford has wasted their time and their money investing in a sister city in Ukraine. I could spend the whole episode on the Ukrainian lie right now. I'm not going to do that, but I will tell you that money being shipped to Ukraine is being laundered. It is being sent to individuals in Ukraine who are child trafficking, child harvesting, and sex trafficking. That is what is happening over there. That's it. It isn't any more complicated. If he thinks that money is being spent on books or toys for children, he has lost his mind. And he's out of touch. That's not what's going on over there. What's going on over there is the rooting out of a corrupt government. What's going on over there is that very corrupt government by Zelensky is specifically kidnapping children, the mentally handicapped, and forcing them to fight against individuals that will wipe them out. Now, what is the Russian army doing? Simple. They're taking back land that belongs to them, and they're liberating the people who have been enslaved by the corruption and the government in Ukraine, which, by the way, has always been a playground for the deep state that exists in the United States and all over the world. The money laundering, the drug running, the bioweapons manufacturing, the child trafficking, the organ harvesting has always been going on in Ukraine. This is a fact. If you don't know this, well, I'm sorry, maybe you're watching too much television, but that's what is going on. Which means, does Bill Snavely know that? No, I don't think he's that smart. He doesn't know that. It doesn't matter, though, if he knows it or not. The fact is, is by not knowing it and blindly participating in it, he's advocating for criminality. That's a problem. Now, again, what makes this city council vote complicated 
is that there are four people running for three positions, which means three people are going to be taking those positions. And three of those individuals, well, I should say two of them, are currently on, on city council, Bill Snavely being one of them, Jason Bracken being the other, and the third, of course, is the mayor. And then the fourth is someone, again, who I am unfamiliar with. That's the person that I voted for. I didn't pick anybody else. So when you vote for someone on city council, you don't have to vote for three. You can just pick one person. You can pick no one. Here's the message that needs to be sent. The message that needs to be sent when you vote for city council is to not vote for these people because don't give them an inflated vote. You don't want them to see that they got more votes this time than they did the last time around. You want to make it abundantly clear that they received far less votes this time than they did the last time around. So just don't vote for them. Now again, what else did he bring up? He brought up housing for everybody. Bill Snavely and City Council are interested in bringing homeless and illegal aliens into the city of Oxford and giving everybody, as he said, everybody housing. This town is going to fill up with illegals. It's going to fill up with the homeless. They're doing this on purpose. This is not an accident. They think they're being charitable. They are not. Because with homelessness and illegality from illegal aliens, of course, you invite crime. This is a problem. In a university town, no less. This is what they are advocating for. This is the Bolshevik Marxist left-wing agenda. And they're carrying it out under the guise of being charitable or the right thing to do. And then what did he say? He said climate action. And that's what you're going to hear Jason Bracken say in just a minute in the next audio I'm going to play. Here's a made-up phrase, climate change. It does not exist. There is no such thing. There is geoengineering. That is a very real thing. Those giant stripes in the sky that you see that look like a rocket just went across the sky, those are not airplanes with passengers. Those are chemtrails seeding the clouds to either make weather changes or they are chemtrails designed to poison us because of the gases and the chemicals that come out of it and drop down on us. This is a fact. Don't believe me? Look up Operation Popeye. It's a real thing. You can even get on Wikipedia and look that up, and I don't trust Wikipedia any further than I can throw it. But you can even get on there and look it up. It's a very real thing. Our own government and government officials, including the former CIA director John Brennan, has openly admitted to chemtrails existing. Endless poisons exist within those. Those are not clouds, ladies and gentlemen. Those are planes without passengers. They are loaded with tanks that are filled with poisons that are dumped on top of us. Geoengineering and weather manipulation is a real thing by government. But here's their solution in city council. Their solution is more solar panels. Now let me explain the solar panel fiasco along with the electric vehicle fiasco, both of which no one on city council or anybody working for the city knows anything about. Number one, solar panels. And I want to thank my Michigan business owner for giving me this information. They're 100% accurate on this. 
when you put solar panels on a house or a building, the cost of the insurance that that person has to pay who owns that building or owns that property or even rents it out, the insurance cost goes through the roof. Why does the insurance cost go through the roof? Because solar panels are dangerous when it comes to the structure of the home. Solar panels are filled with lithium. Lithium is highly flammable. This is why they raise the insurance costs. So it is quite literally borderline unaffordable. It's an extended and unnecessary cost that doesn't need to exist. That's number one. Number two, insurance companies that insure homes and businesses with solar panels on them do not insure any damage that is incurred to any neighboring property or building. Which means, if the solar panels catch on fire and damage an adjacent or neighboring building, same thing with the building itself, it is up to the property owner and the business owner to pay the damages out of pocket, free of any insurance claim, to the building that is next to or adjacent that incurred the damage or received the damage. This is a fact. No one on Oxford City Council knows this. Nobody. So it's unaffordable, unnecessary, and based on a lie. And it's, again, it can collapse an entire business. And it can bankrupt an entire family, depending on the amount of damage that, that occurs as a result of such damage. That's solar panels, and that's what they want in town everywhere. It's not going to happen. Number two, electric vehicles. Electric vehicles and climate change are a combined hoax. First of all, the lithium that is acquired that is put within electric vehicles is acquired using child labor primarily from African countries. That's number one. These people either don't know nor, nor care about the very people that they claim to be supporting and advocating for. That's number one. Number two, as I said earlier, lithium is highly flammable. When electric vehicles catch on fire, and they all do, you cannot put them out. Fire extinguishers do not put them out. And because they are electric, the doors and the windows don't work anymore. Which means if you're inside and it catches on fire, you have to break through the glass in order to climb out of the automobile or the bus. This city wants buses that are electric. Miami University wants buses that are electric. This cannot happen. It is a massive safety hazard, not to mention it's more expensive to own them, insure them, and charge them. It costs and takes more gas and oil to charge an electric vehicle than it does run a gas-powered vehicle on its own. Do you understand the climate change hoax and the sustainability hoax? That's what it is. It's a hoax. They feed them these fake, these fake words and these fake lines, and they try to get them to believe that their their newfound vocabulary is is a fact that is not true 
Let me go over the word sustainability. You'll hear that consistently from these brainwashed goons. Sustainability means sustaining the Marxist agenda. That's it. They think sustainability means keeping things going in a town in a positive direction. That is not what it means. It means sustaining the government and global agenda, which is designed to depopulate. It is designed to make things unaffordable, raise taxes, crush businesses, hurt people. Not to mention electric vehicles, when you ride in them or you drive them themselves, you're sitting on batteries. Sitting on batteries is remarkably unhealthy for you when they are operating. No one does that. You shouldn't do that. It makes men sterile and women barren. It causes miscarriages. It causes electromagnetic radiation in a human being. All of this is unhealthy because it's designed to be. That's the point. It's on purpose. This is the, this is the problem here. This is what is going on. Now, let me get to Jason Bracken. I'm going to play the last few minutes of the episode on people and policies with Jason Bracken so that you can hear how brainwashed he is, because it's thick. So give this a listen in three, two, one. Issues on housing, the environmental issue not helping out the lower, more less population. What to you is the most important initiative? that you as a city council member or the city council in general should pursue this coming year? So mine is shared by council in general under housing, but that's housing and affordable housing, and I want to focus even more on those who need it most. I believe the purpose of society and government is to help those that, that need it most, right? That's the idea that, you know, somebody falls down, other people are there to help them get back up. And so my focus is basically it's those who are most so that is mostly homelessness. And other ones like making sure they're fed, some of the primary basic needs that sure. we all share. Sure. Yeah. Awesome. Well, is there anything else in this interview that I did not address that you would like to discuss? Well, I told you I was a wonk. I love talking about all this <laughs> stuff. So you could feel free to pick another topic. I can run on it. But uh, that's pretty good. You hit... Um, my two biggest priorities, and I think two of the three big priorities of city council, the third being economic development. Oh, sure. Yeah, Would you like to talk a little bit about that? Sure. So to me, um, it is a priority, but it's a much lower priority okay. than climate change and addressing housing. It's definitely a concern, though, because obviously if you don't have a robust economic situation, uh, you will have more people falling into business and being vulnerable to uh, basic needs. But I want to make sure because so much of our government, we end up subsidizing those who don't need it. And so sometimes wealthy businesses that are for profit get handouts from the government um, when other people are suffering. That's not really the case in Oxford, but I want to make sure that money is well spent. We do put it there. My biggest concern for economic development is that, talk about that student population, we have this roller coaster for small businesses which, you know, they are inundated, and then they get nothing, right? And a lot of them even have to shut down over the summer, and it makes it really hard to ride that out. 
I want to make sure there's as much support for getting through those bumps, sure. you know, smoothing out, you know, those resources that they can survive the lows because otherwise they might be successful and profitable and really helping serve the community. And there's several ways to do that. And some of it is directly through providing resources, but other is making sure that we bring people in in the summer uh, and these times when students are around to help support it, which I think we're doing a pretty good job of, but Absolutely. we could always use more. Have you seen a trend where businesses have to shut down completely after a summer? I wouldn't say it's a trend, but it happens all the time. Okay. Yeah. So I mean, it's, it's hard to run a small business. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And their main resource for employees is, students, is college kids. Yeah. I mean, that's... Both employees and <laughs> consumers, right? Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah. Absolutely. Thank you again, Jason, for joining us on our podcast today. He's a PhD candidate, ladies and gentlemen, and... You heard him just then. He said, I wouldn't say it's a trend, but it happens all the time. The guy doesn't understand the definition of a trend. This is, this is an issue, is it not? <laughs> My God, how dumb can you possibly be? So, let me cover Jason Bracken from a historic standpoint also. Hard left-wing Bolshevik Marxist, like I said earlier, doesn't stand for the Pledge of Allegiance. He's an anarchist, without a doubt. On top of all of that, he and Bill Snavely were going door-to-door during the evening hours at the bars during 2020 and 2021, taking photographs of Miami University students who were not wearing masks and then throwing them up on their Facebook accounts and Facebook pages, including the city's Facebook page, in an effort to dox these individuals and out them and identify them to the university so that they could be fined or disciplined. That's what a Bolshevik does. They inject themselves in your freedom and then try to turn you in for being free. Jason Bracken also is on the exact same wavelength and the exact same agenda as Bill Snavely and everybody else who sits on city council when it comes to property acquisition. What they are doing and have already done is taken property that is not theirs and repurpose it. it This includes cutting trees down, eliminating wildlife, and then throwing up quote-unquote affordable housing. Now what does that mean? It means really low-income housing, which lowers the property values of all the surrounding properties. They don't care about this. They care about doing that, but what they don't care about is what everyone else thinks and how people would like to look at a wooded area instead of staring at low-income housing or zero-income housing, which is what it would be. It would be zero-income housing. Because the homeless don't have jobs, and the illegal aliens they're bringing here don't have them either, but they're giving them a roof over their head. On top of that, as I said earlier, they're bringing illegals and homeless from out of town into this town. This is happening. This is a thing. If you believe this isn't happening, you're being gaslit. And if you believe them when they say that's not happening, they're lying to you. There are numerous organizations that they associate with that are all a part of that. And all it does, of course, lower property values, increase crime. That's what it does. 
Now, there's another aspect, again, when it comes to this property acquisition that they've openly engaged in. They've even subverted the individuals that live within particular areas, gone around them behind their backs in an attempt to repurpose the very parks that they use and steal it from them. I've, I've been over that on the show with regularity, specifically regarding a, a mobile home park that exists in town and a giant park that is right next to the mobile home park that was designated for the people who live in the mobile home park. It's their park. It was gifted to them. But the city went around them, didn't tell a single one of them that lives there that they were interested in repurposing the land and then using it to build a living structure there for homeless, illegals, and affordable housing people, quote-unquote. They openly also detest capitalism. They hate it. They hate individuals who work hard, earn money, charge people for a service that they offer, and then take their profits to then buy more land, more property, more businesses, employ more people. They absolutely hate this. They don't understand the first thing about business, not a single thing. That's how business operates in America. You make money, you invest, that investment brings with it usually the opportunity for more people, and life goes on. But they don't get that. They don't understand that because they're not that bright. So scolding property owners for buying property and then understanding the market of what people make and how much money people have and charging them rent. Well, yeah, I would want to charge someone who comes from a good family who has money to pay rent, who knows how to take care of property, as opposed to lowering the rent to next to zero, which puts the business owner in a hole financially, to give it to somebody for practically nothing to live there when that person probably doesn't understand how to maintain a property and might ruin it. This is, again, this is the entire Democrat left-wing Bolshevik agenda. This is it. It is to take something nice and destroy it. All under the guise of claiming that they're helping people, that they're helping more people. This is a lie. It's always been a lie. Now I want to play this. This is the former Mayor Mike Smith, and he was actually the mayor during the COVID lie and the fake pandemic. The only pandemic that existed, ladies and gentlemen, was stupidity. That's it. It was the hive mind. It was the echo chamber. That was the only pandemic that existed. So Bill Snavely was the vice mayor. Mike Smith was the mayor. These were the same two guys that went on a nice backpacking trip to Ukraine to basically launder money over there or give them, uh, give them fake money or real money for a cause for which they have absolutely no idea what they're giving it to. So here's Mike Smith on a few COVID-related things toward the end of his time on the People in Policies podcast. Give this a listen in three, two, one. I see that when you were mayor during COVID, you faced a lot of backlash and almost faced recall. Uh, how do you plan on coming back to that? How did you handle that situation? And how did it make you to be a better city council member this time around? Well, when that happened, basically, 
you know, for stress or whatever reason, I lost my temper. That wasn't, I made, made some statements about the student population that I knew was just lashing out. I apologized to them for that. And we had a great dialogue about it. Um, I think better relationship than we had before in terms of an approachability and said, I can't fix a problem if I don't know about it. Sure. So I'll carry all that experience of, of patience and, and outreach into this new position again. What, in your opinion, is the most important issue facing Oxford today? I think it's the housing issue, sure. because we talk a lot about homelessness and folks on fixed income. Absolutely. But it affects the whole spectrum. You know, if you're, if you're not on a fixed income and you would like to retire at Oxford, it's very hard to find a house in, in any price range. If you're a new professor, and you would like to move to Oxford, so maybe you don't have to drive from Cincinnati. It's very it's possible to find a house that you can afford on a new professor salary. Really, have we have gaps at all levels? We have gaps at the highest level. We have gaps in starter homes. We have very little fixed income housing, and again, we have a real shelter for for homeless. Sure. So, how do you plan on pursuing that affordable housing initiative? The affordable housing initiative. Um, we had a really good shot at it a couple of weeks ago, but it just it just didn't pan out with our with the partner that we had picked. Um, so the city is is acquiring parcels of property around town, and once we consolidate in a certain location, um, it's it's a dependent a lot on funding. Okay. Um, the nonprofits score your location in terms of how close you are to, say, a grocery store, public transportation. And social services. So we're we're looking to find a location that is that is near all of that, that we could again partner with a third party nonprofit to help us build some affordable housing, uh, probably apartment like units. Um, and our goal would be to start with. I, I would love to start with fifty, but our need is in the hundreds. So sure. absolutely, the Oxford City Council addressed that issue at last week's meeting, I believe, and they faced a lot of backlash from citizens because they were looking to change Mary Day Park and to do some housing, um, you know, buy out some property and make private private property that they can develop. How do you plan on getting citizens on board with such an important initiative? Really, again, it's education. I mean, a lot of people are, are very fearful. We have the, you know, not my backyard movement. Yeah. But these developments aren't run down and shoddy. They will be new developments will be as nice as any student housing that's been built okay. in the past 10 years. Uh, they'll be clean and well-maintained. And again, you have to apply to be admitted. It won't, you know, everybody who's out on the street. But we want to house them. There will be some process to get into this housing. Absolutely. And I think citizens would be happy to hear that because one of the main concerns was the type of people, the crowd of people that you would bring in with these um, affordable housing. That's good to hear. Is there anything else you would like to discuss today? Gosh, I think we've covered a lot of topics. I think, <laughs> we um, did. I think that's probably enough. Oh, it's enough, all right. It's, it's more than enough. When you hear the term again, ladies and gentlemen, fixed income and affordable housing for a fixed income, what they don't tell you is that the term fixed income means you have no income which means they want housing for homeless and illegals, and they don't care where this housing goes up. 
They don't care if it shows up in your subdivision. They don't care if it shows up out in the country next to your quiet place. They don't care where it shows up. He's also lying when it comes to university salaries, that a new professor at the university has no place to live in town. That's not true. That's not true. There are endless homes for rent. There's endless apartment buildings where endless people can live. They just have to get in line and acquire one of those places to live. There's lots of places to live in Oxford. There's certainly more than there used to be. There's more dead people because lots of people took the COVID shots. The campus is empty. It's not full. Miami University, again, has been lying about their enrollment numbers. They don't have the high enrollment they used to. And the Miami student has been lying also as a newspaper by saying that they maintained their enrollment numbers while every other college and university in the United States had their enrollment numbers drop. Now, who believes that? It's a lie. To make such a claim, it's beyond outrageous. They might as well say that they have geese that lay golden eggs, and there are no other geese in the United States that lay golden eggs. All of it is a lie, because they're in the lying game. That's what they have to do. Now, Mike Smith there, again, he openly claimed, I got a little angry during the COVID thing, and I I can't help if I don't know what's going on and, and who to help. You got that right. You got that right. You got the whole thing wrong. You got the whole thing wrong. Joke's on you. And it's a deadly mistake, I might add. A very deadly one. Ladies and gentlemen, this city council, Mike Smith, Bill Snavely, and Jason Bracken, also coerced every single city employee to take those shots. They had to take at least two rounds. And what did they get for taking two rounds of the COVID bioweapon? They got a check for $100 a piece. Every city employee received a check for $100. Now here's the irony. The individual who put those finances together and was responsible for putting those finances together was their former financial director. I say former because he's now dead. He took the COVID shots too, and he's dead. Do you see where this is going? Now, so the people of this town understand what I'm about to say next, you need to understand that this is real. You don't believe me, you can email me and I will email you the proof because I have the emails. You can email me at AmericanEducationFM at ProtonMail.com and I'll send you this document. I emailed city council and told them about the bioweapon shots, including peer-reviewed articles, documentaries, books, and laws that they have broken, and what these shots are doing to everybody who takes them. It's giving them AIDS, which is Acquired Immune Deficiency Syndrome. They have broken their DNA, which is disrupting all of their body systems, which means they have acquired a deficient immune system, and now they are subjected to a plethora of syndromes, i.e. illnesses and symptoms, that come about as a result of having a permanently compromised immune system. You cannot fight off disease the way in which you used to when you were younger. It's also referred to as VADES, 
VAIDS, Vaccine Acquired Immune Deficiency Syndrome. The same poison that is in the COVID shots is in every shot going forward. It is in dental anesthetic, it is in insulin shots, it's in flu shots, it's in the pneumonia shots, it's in the shingle shots, it's in all of them. Just go to the hospital and check out how packed it is. The only people getting sick are the people who took the shots. The people in this town were also warned by me via email about the 5G towers. There were at least six of them that went up in the dead of night. 5G towers are a weapon. Designed by the Department of Defense in Lockheed Martin. They can remotely emit an electromagnetic radiation wave that can cook a person like they're sitting inside of a microwave. This has a direct impact on the shot recipients and the people who took those shots. The people of City Council in Oxford, along with all of their brainwashed employees, including the police department, are getting people killed. There is an active bioweapon that exists in this county, in this town, in this state, and across the country. And they don't know what they've done. They've killed themselves, their family members, their friends. They all went along with this lie. And they can't for the life of it figure out why they keep coughing or why they feel ill randomly from time to time. So here's my prediction for city council and what's going to happen in the future. The people who took those shots are going to expire. They will not survive. As a result of that, they will probably die while holding office. This is highly likely, certainly within the next five plus years. Within 10. I'd even go way shorter than that. I'd say something like six. You can't live with a biological weapon ruining your DNA and continuing to advocate for people to take said biological weapon. When Mike Smith left office and Bill Snavely took over as the mayor, he invited in the director of the local hospital, McCullough Hyde Hospital. And this individual, again, talked about what was going on in the hospital. This was not a smart individual either. He works for a hospital as the director of a hospital, so he's going along with what the emails tell him to go along with. He openly stated that he was jabbed, his family was jabbed, and then it was Bill Snavely that tried to get him to say that everybody in town needs to take a booster shot. Bill Snavely also attempted to ostracize everybody in the town, or certainly at least 4,000 people in the town, by saying, well, there's only 4,000 people in the town who have not taken the shot, but everybody else has. All 29,000 plus already have. That's not true. And if it is true, well, then you're listening to the future mayor of this town right now, because Bill Snavely's not going to make it. He won't be around. How many shots did he take? How, shot, how many shots deep is he? You see how this works? This is a depopulation agenda, and you have to use the useful idiot in order to carry out the agenda. All the individuals that I have mentioned here on the show thus far are the useful idiots. That term was coined by Frederick Engels and Karl Marx in the Communist Manifesto. They openly admitted that you have to have their own stupid followers go along with their plan so that everyone around them, including them, is ruined. 
That's what's happening here. So the silver lining in this, as tasteless as this may sound, the silver lining is, is that the people responsible for this COVID lie and carrying out this COVID lie because they believe the COVID lie, those individuals are going to expire probably while holding office. So again, there's three positions available and there's four people running. My recommendation is you vote for the person who has not sat on council thus far, which is apparently this John Railnavisky guy. So that's who I voted for. But that just means that two other individuals are going to sit on council yet again. It'll either be Smith, Snavely, or Bracken, assuming that this John guy loses. But there you have it. That's city council. That's what's going on. They are out to lunch. They have lost their minds. But again, there isn't any fixing the problems that they themselves are creating. If they're going to ram home through these particular agendas and these particular issues, well, the shot is going to be the equalizer. And that's only a matter of time. That's not an if, that's just a when. I'll conclude with this, and this is something that may just be unique to this area, although I highly doubt it. It may occur even to my extended listening audience and where you live, but here in the town where I live, they've already done this. All three of those city council members of the audios that I just played who have already sat on city council, and of course Mike Smith is running again to sit on the same position yet again. All three of them all have their names on the exact same yard sign now. So where they used to be different yard signs with different names on them, now they're all the same. That right there should tell everybody again, at face value, that they all support one another. They are all in agreement with their hard left-wing Marxist Bolshevik agenda. End of story. And these people are going to expose themselves with what is coming down the line here in the next 365 days. Because all hell's going to break loose regarding a variety of political issues. And these people are going to show you how crazy they are. And we haven't even seen it yet. You thought the COVID lie was bad? I say buckle up. It's going to get a whole lot worse with the lies that they're going to believe and the things that they will implement. So keep a close eye on them. Because again, they're going to maintain their positions. And again, someone would say, well, Sean, why don't you run for these positions? I'm an abolitionist. These positions shouldn't exist. Dogs and cats are mayors of towns in America. And I hate meetings, and I hate committees, and I hate the people who love them. That's why I'll never run for any of these positions, because they are useless, and the people who inhabit them are useless. It is quite literally that simple. But what you can see is, is how destructive they can be. The only thing they need to do in this town is fix the roads. That's it. But that's not what they want to do. They want the, they want the roads to go to hell. They want an Amtrak system here in order to train in illegals from Chicago, 
fill the town up with illegals and homeless, give them a place to live, and create complete and utter chaos, and then try to swoop in like they are somehow helping something. This is their agenda. This is what they want. Now I'm going to shift gears into education and who is running for school board, and I'm going to go through these individuals the best that I can at least, and then again, I'm going to play some audio certainly from a number of them as they too have participated in this People and Policies podcast through the Miami Student. Um, first of all, let me, let me mention just some of their names here, and then I'll get into again the history of the current board and what they've done and what they've allowed to have happen. First of all, three members of the school board who are running, who are the incumbents, are a Kathleen Knight Abowitz, a, Re- a Dr. Rebecca Howard, a Dr. Kathleen Knight Abowitz also, by the way, sorry, and, uh, and Chris Otto. Knight Abowitz and Otto work for Miami University, and Dr. Rebecca Howard does not. I don't know where she works or what she does. Um, she may be retired at this point. I'm not sure. Either way, these three individuals were also wrapped up in the COVID lie. They were wrapped up in pushing the masks on students and gagging all of them. They bought the entire charade, hook, line, and sinker, just like city council did. Something else they also now have in common with city council is just like these three city council members that I mentioned who have all of their names on the exact same sign, so do Kathleen Knight Abowitz, Rebecca Howard, and Chris Otto which means by default, they're telling you that they are all in this together, quote unquote. They're all backing each other's play. They all support each other. This is what they believe. These are three individuals, the incumbents specifically, who are incapable of accepting any responsibility for what they have done. They're incapable of of accepting any responsibility for any of the false policies that they've pushed through, any of the wasteful spending that they've allowed, and then the largest atrocity of all, which is the abuse of children. Because as I've brought up on this show with regularity, if what happened in 2020, 2021, and 2022 happened in 2019, they would have all been fired. They would have all lost their jobs, ethics complaints, illegality, lawsuits, you name it. But because everybody went along with the lie, by and large, who hold these positions, There weren't laws that were broken, according to them, so they think. And they don't reference COVID at all. The only person who I hear reference it was Rebecca Howard. And she said, well, COVID was hard and it was hard for all of us because of COVID and because of COVID. They're blaming something that doesn't exist on their own frame of mind and they're following the leader. I've said this quote with regularity, ladies and gentlemen. In the words of George S. Patton, when everybody's thinking alike, someone's not thinking. And these people during the past few years have not been thinking. Now, let's face it, they haven't been thinking probably most of their lives, but they're certainly not thinking now, even after all of this. They push the shots on people. I spoke at their school board meeting and warned them what the shots were doing to people and going to do to people, and it was as if it went in one ear and out the other. They continued to say the the following Dr. Fauci line, quote, taking the shots is the best preventative measure against COVID. 
They even said it after my speech, and they kept saying it. It took action on my part and numerous parents working with me and all of us working together to continue to pressure the district to lift the mask mandates, which were illegal. Every school board member, in particular the incumbents, is in possession of facts related to COVID and the mask wearing and the laws that they broke. I handed it to them in a school board meeting in November of 2021. They they were in possession of them. I've also emailed these people the exact same things. Now on a separate issue regarding the current school board member, this individual, of course, is still still sits on the school board. I'm not sure why, other than the fact that they were not prosecuted or brought up on, on charges. But David Bothist continues to sit as a school board member, even though he solicited money from numerous individuals in town, including one of his adopted son's own school teachers, to pay himself back $5,000 to send his husband and their two adopted children to the Super Bowl in Los Angeles, California against the Bengals. This is a major ethics violation. I filed the ethics complaint with the state through their commission, and apparently they decided not to charge him with anything. He could have faced jail time, a $5,000 fine, immediate removal from the board, you name it, and none of that happened. He still sits on the board. If it were anybody else, ladies and gentlemen, they'd be gone, but he still sits there, which means the next time he runs for office, he needs to go. I emailed the entire board and the superintendent and the county commissioner's office and the Hamilton City School District, all their board members, and the superintendent about David Bothist. They all know that I was the one who filed the ethics complaint. I had all the proof. I still have it all. I have all of his Facebook posts where he's openly talking about it and soliciting money. But he continues to sit on this board, and the board members continue to protect him. The overall theme with this is you have to understand that there are elephants in the room that they are not discussing, which means they are covering up for their own ineptitude and their own illegality. And then they are even assuming that constant word usage and just repeating words over and over again is somehow them actually explaining something that makes any sense. The same is true, I might add, with the incoming individuals. In these audio clips, you're going to hear the word transparency a thousand times. That's another buzzword. When someone says they're being transparent, they're lying. It's that simple. Well, I believe in transparency. You're a liar. You're a liar. One of the individuals running against the incumbents is an Andrew Langsner. This guy does say, he does say that transparency requires action. You can't just say it, you actually have to do something about it. He's right about that. But this individual also, this Andrew Langsner, along with Kathleen Knight-Abowitz, openly advocate for a levy. They're openly saying, yes, I support a levy. If it comes to that, then absolutely we need a levy. Kathleen Knight-Abowitz says it's stronger than Andrew Langsner does. She openly comes out and says, again, I'm voting for a levy when one comes up. 
and I'm going to propose a levy. They want to bankrupt everybody in this town, raise everybody's property taxes, force them out of town to maintain a terrible functioning school system. Now, I've said it before, I'm an abolitionist. I am also a homeschool advocate. Under no circumstance should an American family who has children who can read and write be sending their children to an American school. You need to be using a Becca.com. You need to buy a King James Bible. And you need to use that curriculum that exists. Abeka.com. A-B-E-K-A.com. Now, I'm saying that at the forefront here so that you know where I stand on these things and you understand, again, my entire approach. It is the basis of the show. The basis of this entire show was built on the back of the corruption in my own experiences within the education system. Now, given the fact that I'm going to start talking about the education system very quickly, let me go through my background in the field of education as fast as I possibly can. I attended Talawanda. As a student, I wish I hadn't. It was a cesspool of degeneracy. There were staff members sleeping with students. There was rampant drug use. And guess what? Nothing's changed, has it? Nothing's changed. It's the same terrible environment. It's just a different day. I graduated from Talawanda early, a semester early. I took all the credits I need. I uh, needed. I got out as fast as humanly possible. I started taking classes at Miami University at the age of 17. I graduated from Miami University in 2004 with a health education degree certified to teach middle school health education. I moved to Southwest Florida, and I became a middle school health education teacher. But first, I taught math and science for two years to 6th, 7th, and 8th graders. Then I started teaching health education. And I did that for seven years. Then I moved over to the high school, the neighboring high school in the town where I lived in Southwest Florida. And I taught health education, anatomy, and physiology to freshmen through seniors in high school. The reason that I was moved from the middle school to the high school against my will was because I was a whistleblower. They were sexually grooming, and when I say they, I mean school teachers and administrators were covering it up. The sexual grooming, of female students at the hands of, of school teachers. And like I said, administrators were covering it up when I brought it to their attention. They were also physically abusing students. And when I brought it to the attention of the administration, they covered it up. And then they all turned their guns against me. Because as far as they were concerned, it's easier to maintain the illegality and to cover it up than it is to get rid of one person. Because if you do the right thing, you're going to have to get rid of more people, and they don't want to do that, and then they think that it brings more negative attention toward them, and they're right. And that's ultimately what got me out of the high school environment also. I was forced to resign because the same administration that was over at the middle school where I worked was now going to be taking over at the high school, but they wanted me gone first. It was a district-wide scheme to get rid of the guy who had documentation, recordings, names, dates, and events on all of their illegality. Yes, I brought it to the police. What did the police do? Nothing. I brought it to lawyers. What did they do? Nothing. I brought it to the district and the human resources department and the investigator. What did they do? Nothing. American K-12 schools are criminal organizations. There is no way around it. 
I've written numerous books on this subject. My website is AmericanEducationFM.com. I've had this show since August, I'm sorry, October 6th of 2020. The subjects that I've covered on this show, you're not going to get other places. I'm not patting myself on the back. It's just a fact. And more and more people are finding their way to this show. It's a rather organic podcast. I'm not big on marketing. I don't like the marketing schemes. I'm not into it. Uh, that's, that's just my take. But there's plenty of information that gets covered on this show that you're never going to receive at the college or university level. And the same is true at the K-12 level for both students, parents, employees, and our nation as a whole. So I hope you continue to listen here because now I'm going to go through these school board members. And here we go. Again, in my professional opinion, and this is my opinion, I'm probably the most qualified to run for school board. I never will. But if I ever did, it wouldn't be to win. It would be to expose the levels of corruption and the history of this school district. Because if you believe that anybody running for these positions is going to fix anything, you are sorely mistaken. In my opinion, here is what is going to happen regarding this school board election. You're basically going to be replacing a bag of sand with a bag of sand. That's my take. Now, I'll tell you who I voted for. I voted for Andrew Langsner. I voted for Ivan Carver, and I voted for Don King. I voted to vote out all of the incumbents because all of the incumbents were responsible for rampant child abuse because they are child abusers. They forced the masks. They even held bio, COVID bioweapon seminars to, be, to, to, to exist within their own high school by way of the Butler County Health Department. They administered these bioweapons to their own students within their own school building off of school hours, including their own employees. These people do not know what is going on. These people are not awake. They live in the matrix. They are brainwashed. And unfortunately, the, the people seeking to replace the incumbents are in the exact same boat, I am afraid. Because if at least one of the new individuals who is, who is wanting to be a new school board member is fine with a levy, then this person is out of touch and doesn't know what's going on. Now, I'm going to start with a Kathleen Knight Abowitz, and you're going to hear audio from her. She's a Miami University uh, professor in their Department of Educational Leadership, which is an oxymoron. And at the exact same time, she has been referred to as a Maoist. That's her nickname. She is as far left as you can possibly get. She openly advocates for a levy. She wants a levy. She's an, again, she's a staunch advocate or ad, uh, activist, rather, of a variety of things. And she also engaged in a major ethics violation this past election in 2022 when it came to her participation and involvement while sitting on the board of the League of Women Voters in the city of Oxford. The League of Women Voters openly put together and does put together pamphlets to be handed out to school students and employees, basically telling them who to vote for. 
and they only it's only one sided. They're they're not on these pamphlets that have been passed out in the past. They only show those that they want to win the election. So as you would expect, it's all leftists on the same on the same piece of paper that everybody gets. In the last election, of course, the levy failed by 3000 votes. 6000 people plus voted to not pass a levy that would have raised everybody's taxes and 3000 voted to actually have that happen. They'll never find 3000 votes. No levy will ever pass. It's not going to happen. Too many people know about what's going on in American K-12 schools across the nation and the Marxist, Bolshevik, degenerate agenda that exists. But Kathleen Knight Abowitz was a part of it. So I'm going to play a couple of audio clips from her from the People and Policies podcast, and you'll hear it straight from the horse's mouth right now in 3, 2, 1. Dr. Knight Abowitz, it's our pleasure to have you on the podcast today. Thank you very much. Yes, so now we're going to start with some questions for today's episode. So what inspired you to run for Talawanda School Board in the first place, and why did you decide to run again? I was originally inspired by probably two things. One is I, as a, as a citizen and as an educational theorist, uh, scholar, uh, interested in uh, how democratic forms and structures of education work. So interested in democracy um, and schools, and then particularly got interested in our district as a parent, um, just being part of the school system and the community that it serves and having my two kids go through the school district and then becoming active as an activist in uh, the community, not just activists towards issues or positions that I was interested in in our school district, but also becoming interested in making sure that uh, the legislators in Columbus were hearing from parents and communities like ours when they were making uh, education policy or education-related policy. felt like that was also a real need. So in general, all of those things made me interested in both observing and, and uh, being engaged with political processes around education and then getting involved myself as a candidate. Yeah. So you said you had two kids go through on um, the district. When did you first move here? I moved here in 1995 and our daughter was born in 1999 and my son two years later. So they are now Talawanda graduates. They went K through 12 in this system, uh, in our system here. And uh, both had a really positive experience, went to Kramer Elementary and um, had very uh, positive educational experiences. And so I got to know the school district really first, as, as a lot of people do, I think, as a parent. And I didn't have any real complaints or issues, but just got very interested in how the schools worked and how, uh, you know, funding um, and other decisions were made, um, which is always a sort of ongoing issue in a lot of school districts and certainly in ours. And I think I also got interested in the particular history of our district because um, it is a product of consolidation. And so it, it has some particular 
things about it that um, sort of make you uh, understand that history and how that history kind of lives on in some ways. So got I also got interested not just in the schools or the teachers from my kids' point of view, but also the particular history of this district and kind of how um, it's unique and uniquely made up and has a, a very unique kind of character too. Now, if you're bored out of your skull having listened to that, congratulations, you should be, because she said absolutely nothing. She said nothing. Nothing of any importance. Nothing. She's just rambling. But she did say the word activism. I got into it because, you know, I'm an activist and I love activism and blah, 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 blah. That's the dead giveaway right there. The best part about a Marxist, and it really is the only good part, is when you give them a microphone, they will tell you everything about them. And it's in their word usage that they give themselves away all of the time. I'm going to skip to the end for the wrap-up question, the old, what do you see happening in the future and what would you like to do and all of that nonsense. Keep in mind, throughout this 37-minute interview, Dr. Kathleen Knight-Abowitz never brought up COVID, not once. She didn't even reference it. She didn't reference the child abuse that she engaged in. She didn't reference the mask wearing. She referenced none of it. She's also jabbed. Keep that in mind, of course, going forward, because it is the tie that binds. It is the river that runs through it. It is the thread that continues to exist throughout all of this. So here's the wrap-up of her episode in three, two, one. Which is one of the reasons I'm campaigning on the priority of new money in the next several years, um, that uh, we cannot possibly be competitive with um, salary schedules for our professional educators and administrators if we don't put um, new a, a new levy, if we don't get new money passed. and um, And therefore, that issue of overall quality of our people starts to erode. And that's a thing that's so hard to build back up. Um, It's easier to keep it. And um, so that's the thing I'm worried the most about. I mean, I worry about the money, but what I really worry about the money is the people that the money enables us to have Um, and the staffing and not just the staffing situation, but the the breadth of things, the, the kind of different kinds of subject areas that our current budget allows us to have, like different foreign languages, different, um, you know, co-curricular offerings, different levels of kinds of curriculum, lots of special supports for students that otherwise might not get quite across the graduation finish line. And so, like, there's all of that that goes into maintaining quality. And when it starts to erode here and there, it might not show up in immediately on your report card, but that start you we will start to lose some of that, I fear, if we don't really prioritize um, figuring out a, a, rev- a new revenue stream. For sure. So my final question for you is, reflecting on your role in the past four years, what has been something that you are most proud of? I think that one of the most 
mundane things that a, a board does, but it's probably a high impact thing, is uh, building new buildings um, and re and rehab rehabbing and uh, buildings. And so uh, during and I didn't have anything individually to do with this, but. The thing that our board has done in the last four years that's probably had the biggest impact on student well-being and happiness is like the Marshall Elementary renovation and uh, building project, right? And so we took a really old building uh, at, for a school that means a lot to that community and the and the families that it has served for a long time, and we made and we made a new building, you know, we, we, um, and we paid for it or we're paying for it. Right. And, and that's such a, a normal thing that we expect schools to do, but it's such a beautiful new building and it's, and it's, a, a, a much more welcoming and pleasant and healthy place for the adults and the kids in that building and the families that go there. And so it's such a regular run of the mill thing to, to say. Um, and I had, you know, I had no individual power over like that, that happening, but that's what a good school board does. That's what, you know, you know, regular flow of predictable money allows you to do. That's what being fiscally responsible allows you to do is to, is to build the structures and replace the things that need replacing so that good teaching and learning can continue to happen and that we can have these local elementary schools that mean a lot to different parts of our community. Um, Marshall means a lot to the townships that that, you know, that that school building serves. And so it's um, just, just being a part of uh, a, a district that, really has um, done the work of trying to replace buildings at a responsible rate to make sure our kids are in affordable yet kind of state-of-the-art places where they can do cutting-edge things and our educators can have really good resources. Like All of that is the mundane stuff, but if you're not doing that, you're not doing your work. And so I feel like that's probably the most impactful thing is just getting Marshall Elementary renovated and, and being a part of the machinery that sort of makes that happen. And the kids that get to go there every day and the teachers that get to work there every day just benefiting from that. And that's just, and, and that's so true about the board in itself. It's not ever one person doing anything. It's like a group effort. And, um, and so the group effort sometimes yields just, you know, a nice new school building that a bunch of people can enjoy and continue to enjoy. So. That's my answer, I guess. Yeah, that's great. Thank you so much. Um, so that's all I have for you. Is there anything else about your campaign that you'd like to discuss? I don't think so. I, I think that uh, one thing that I hope uh, makes me stand out as a candidate is um, being uh, as honest as I can possibly be um, and trying to uh, just be um, uh, as straightforward as I can with what I think. Uh, the district needs. And so I feel like I've done that. And uh, so if people want to ask me questions or uh, engage with me, I, I would recommend the um, the school, uh, uh, the Facebook site. Um, and um, that's a way for people to be in touch and um, 
and uh, ask me questions. I also have a Gmail account. So if people aren't on Facebook, it's knightabowitz at gmail.com. And so I'd be really happy to hear from people with uh, questions about the campaign or about decisions I would try to make or actions I would try to take if, if, if reelected um, by the voters in November. So um, happy to continue to try to be honest and have good conversations and listen to parents um, throughout this process until November 7th. And she doesn't want to apologize for anything either, you know, like the whole COVID lie and all the rampant child abuse that she advocated for. When everybody's thinking alike, someone's not thinking. Again, she openly admits she wants a levy going forward. I also found it absolutely hilarious when asked the question, so what do you think you bring to the board or what's the biggest accomplishment that you've had thus far? She actually credits something that has nothing to do with her. And she even said so. Well, it doesn't really have anything to do with me, but new buildings and refurbishing old buildings and blah, blah, blah. That's what they use the COVID cash for. They use the free COVID cash, which isn't free. They use that for windows and God knows what else. They should have returned that check, but they didn't. Now they're in a heap of trouble. Weird. Weird how that works when you accept free government money and you find yourself in financial dire straits. And they already were, of course, before the free COVID cash, but they thought that would solve their problems. Whoops! Government doesn't solve problems. That's not what government does. Government makes them. And then you follow orders as government, and then what happens to you? Another thing that she said in the full range interview. She openly talked about her love of talking with legislators and going to Columbus to be involved in the legislative process because that's her, that's her role and responsibility is bringing legislative news to the board and blah, blah, blah. It's a colossal waste of time. But again, she's an activist. She's an open, devout activist, which again means she's a Maoist. She's a Marxist, a Bolshevik. This is who she is. She's taking credit for things that have nothing to do with her, and she's not apologizing for the things that she's responsible for. This is a never-ending theme that exists among these people. Here's the next individual, a Dr. Rebecca Howard. I'm going to play her audio at the conclusion of her speech with the People in Policies podcast, and you'll get to listen to what she thinks is important. I'm going to take a fat guess it's not COVID-related. And all that child abuse that she was engaging in about something that doesn't even exist. In three, two, one. What, in your opinion, is Talawanda's biggest strength? And then what is an area of weakness that you want to work on? Should you feel? I think our biggest area of strength is our people. I know that sounds kind of like a pat answer, but it's true. I mean, the strength of, we have, we have an amazing staff. We have just the best teachers, and combined with our families and our students, I was able to visit the middle school last week and the high school this week, and there is so much positivity going on, and some of that is coming out of COVID, right? You know, that last year, everything was still kind of, people were rebuilding. This year, it's like everybody's got that, yes, this is, we're back, we can do this. So, um, so I think the, the people in our, in our buildings, the communities that surround us that, you know, I, 
genuinely do believe that diversity is strength, that we can find, that we can make connection and we can come together with the, divi- the diversity of this district. So yeah, I really do believe that the people are, the people are what matter. Obviously, the students are what matter. We're all doing it for this, the kids in this district. That's, that's the mission, that's the point. Moving forward, it's, I would say the, the main thing that we really, one of the main things, again, we need to continue working with finances and, and looking and constantly reevaluating both our revenue and expenses and doing everything we can to start you know, narrowing that gap even further than we have. And uh, communication. How do we, we really need to continue to try to crack this nut of communicating in a digital social media age. Definitely. So reflecting on your role in the past four years, what has been something that you are most proud of? I think, again, that representing voices across the spectrum. And also one of the first things, when uh, the, the first meeting we had, the organizational meeting that we have in January, which is when we determine you know, which board member is going to be a liaison for which school, and we kind of parse out these jobs. One of the positions, each of us also has sort of a, a reporting task. So one of those has always been the athletics liaison. And I said, I want that to be an arts and athletics liaison, because we do often elevate athletics and overlook Arts, and they are both so crucial to the experiences that our that our kids are having. So you know, and there was no there was no argument about that. It was like, yeah, okay, we can do that. So we now have I'm the arts and athletics liaison. So I think that's been I'm I'm proud of that, and I am proud of the work that we have done navigating through one of the biggest challenges our culture has ever faced, and that was the the COVID epidemic, you know, there was no way that we were going to make everybody happy, no matter what we did, but we kept the safety and health of our students and our staff at the forefront as we navigated through that. So we made very difficult decisions. We didn't shy away from those decisions. So I, I am proud of how we and how the community responded. We certainly had some tense board meetings, but, you know, nothing like some other districts saw. So I, I'm, I'm very proud of that, too. She's very proud of what again? What was that I heard? She's very proud of the fact that they got through the COVID epidemic, which didn't exist. And then what? They didn't have intense board meetings like other board meetings had. Are you high? You had the most watched school board meeting in the history of the United States when I showed up in August of 2021 and told people, including all of you, to shut the hell up about the jabs because the people who take them are going to die. You must be on drugs. There's no other explanation. She accepts no responsibility for the rampant child abuse. She accepts no responsibility for voting for mask wearing on multiple occasions. She accepts no responsibility for any of this. She has got to go. It's time to send these people out to pasture, and if they are lame, put them down. It is that simple. They've got to go. 
their fingers in this cookie jar have destroyed any cookies that may have existed inside of the jar. And let's face it, it's not much of a jar and there aren't really great cookies on the inside if you catch my drift. Again, diversity is our strength, everybody. Diversity is our strength. What does that even mean? What does that mean? It means nothing. It's a left-wing Bolshevik Marxist buzzword or buzz phrase that means nothing. It makes it sound like you're saying something when in fact you're saying nothing. I've also heard this with regularity among numerous individuals who again are running for these positions. They'll say things like, I'm running for the people. The people are our best quality as a school district. It's the people. They're the best. You're out of your mind. You're not talking with the people. You're not being transparent. You're not listening. You don't respond to your own emails, for God's sakes. There's something else I'm going to include in the description below, ladies and gentlemen, of the town and township where I live, certainly. My audience has been tuned into this for quite some time on a national and global level, but... I requested an open records request from the school district regarding their COVID conversations. I wrote a series of at least four substacks highlighting what were inside of those emails and the kinds of scheming that they were engaging in. I will link those in the description below too. One of the revelations was they all agreed to not email back anybody who emailed them as school board members during the COVID lie. They let the superintendent handle all of it. And he's a buffoon too. So, there you go. Where's the transparency? Where's the communication? It's gone. It's nowhere. It's their way or the highway. They don't give a damn about what anybody thinks. Now, moving on to Chris Otto. I don't have any audio from him to play. Probably a good thing. For his sake, anyway. But Chris Otto is apparently associated with Miami University and works for them in their budgeting office also. Well, that's too bad, because Miami University is at least $36 million in debt, which means how good of a job is Chris Otto really doing? He needs to go to. He's an empty suit. It's very simple. He will, he will sway any way that the board sways. You heard me say they're all in this together, quote-unquote, the old build back better nonsense phrase that gets used on a constant basis because all their names are on the exact same yard signs now. They're trying to edge out outsiders, so to speak, by saying, well, we need to keep improving things and we need to keep moving in a positive direction. That's what Rebecca Howard also says in her full-length interview also, that she thinks that they're heading in a great direction. She's a buffoon. They're insolvent and becoming more insolvent, as they should, and I hope they do. Now I'm going to play a couple more audio clips here. One from an Ivan Carver who is running for the school board against these three incumbents. And then a quick little audio from an Andrew Langsner. Ivan Carver apparently worked for Dell Technologies. He works from home along with his wife. They send their child, I believe, to this school district. Either way, he makes no mention of COVID either. He makes no mention of it. But what is he running on? He's running on having a business background and that there needs to be a business-minded person on the school board. I'm not against that. 
but I don't trust this guy to talk about the real issues that is really going to snap the brainwashing within this town and within that district and pull these people out of the matrix. That's the biggest problem, that if you don't address those issues, you're not getting down to the foundational aspect of what the real problem is. You're just continuing to ice a cake that has no cake actually inside of it. You're just tricking people, including yourself, into believing there's an actual cake there. And then if you just throw more icing on top of it and the occasional cherry, well, then there's a cake there. Well, joke's on all of them. There's no cake here. So here is some audio now that I'm going to play from Ivan Carver. Again, Ivan runs on a business background, having worked for Dell Technologies uh, in the past. And again, he talks a lot about the budget and the past decisions that were made regarding eliminating busing and charging students to, uh, you know, more money to play sports, essentially, and then eliminating some of that. And he goes back and forth a lot with, with the money and what needs to be cut and what doesn't. Here again is, is one of the larger problems. There was a time in American history when most of these, these policies and these programs and these groups and clubs didn't exist, and American education was more successful. The truth was taught more than when these groups and clubs and cliques and nonsense existed. But unfortunately, the brainwashing is so thick among so many people that wrap themselves up within this line of work that they believe that the school district can't exist without those groups, clubs, cliques, and nonsense, and bread and circus BS. It doesn't need to exist. The truth needs to be taught by people who know what the truth is. That's what needs to happen. But again, he's running on attempting to fix the budget or fix whatever finances they can fix based on his business background. Again. I hate to break it to him, and I voted for him, but I'm only voting for him to get rid of the old people. The fact is, is he can't fix this. This entire education system was designed to fail. From the Prussian education system that we brought over from Prussia, that it can't survive. It's not designed to survive. The technological revolution that has existed in our country has surpassed anything that the education system can provide. You quite literally have a cell phone in the hand of a student that has factual information on it if the student knows where to find it, and that will be smarter than the teacher who is being paid to disseminate information to the student. The student themselves can learn more on their own than having an instructor in front of their face for seven hours a day. People have got to change the way that they view knowledge acquisition in America and get back to the way that it was centuries ago. That's the way that it has to be. So, again, regardless of what they say, they're not going to be able to fix anything. In fact, if it fails, it's going to fail on their watch too, regardless of who maintains or retakes these particular positions on school board. So here's Ivan Carver's two cents in three, two, one. Kind of more general, what strengths do you believe are present in the Talawana school district right, right now? And then what areas would you like to build? So 
strengths in the area, I, I think our administration right now, Dr. Thoreau and uh, Shauna, I, I think they're, they're, they're strong. I don't agree in a lot of decisions that's being made currently by this board. I think they're, they're full of educators on the board and they need some business people on the board. Somebody that's just not going to look at uh, the equation from one side, but will come at the equation so that's why I'm in this race, and I think that's why I'm the best candidate right now for the Talamone School District. So that is all I have for you. Is there anything else within your campaign that you'd like to discuss? Yeah, I think we covered all the major topics. Um, like I said, it's going to be very important. Uh, whoever we, we put in there needs to be able to cut costs. Like I said, the levy, Putting a levy on the ballot is not going to be an option after property taxes already raised upwards of 40%. Um, so that ship is sold. I don't think that, and there's candidates already boasting to, to put that back on. And I don't think that's the right approach at this point. So I think that's going to be uh, key. And uh, re remember, I have a bold vision. Uh, it's up to the administration to, uh, to see through that vision, but I think I do have a bold vision for this brave community. Okay, a couple of things here. Number one, he's he's right when it comes to there not being a levy in the future. There can't be one. There can't be. People are already being taxed out of the current homes that they live in, the rental properties that they're on, where the renters, of course, are raising the cost of living because they have to because taxes are going up. That's not their choice. They're just doing it because they have no choice. So. You know, thanks Joe Biden or whoever it is that's really running things from a tax from a tax level. Certainly, the state of Ohio doesn't help. But all of that to the side for a minute. He openly complimented whether he meant it really or not. The superintendent and the treasurer. The treasurer is one of the reasons we're in this fiasco, and the superintendent is also. These two are the problem. If I was on the board, which I would never be. I would immediately make for a motion or request a motion to get rid of both of them immediately. I brought that up in a previous episode. That would have to happen. You start the process to find another superintendent quickly, and you bring that person in on a lowered budget and on a lowered salary and an increased health insurance cost also. Same thing with the treasurer. These people are not taking pay cuts. Nobody's taking a pay cut. Now again, I've said this before, I'll keep saying it. I want the whole thing to crumble to the ground. I don't care about the school district in the slightest. Yes, people are going to lose their jobs. That comes with the territory. You can't lie for a living or be brainwashed for a living and perpetuate lies thinking they're the truth and expect to survive as a business. You just can't. It does not work that way. Okay, the last audio I'm going to play here is from Andrew Langsner. And uh, he claims, again, that his wife has a history in mental health or is a mental health therapist, and unfortunately, he advocates for more mental health. He, too, believes the COVID lie and the entire charade that that was, and I'm sure his wife does, too. He actually advocates for more uh, mental health counseling on a constant basis and that the school system itself should have gone door to door to help students with their mental health during the COVID stuff. This is insane. This is an insane, uh, proposal. This is nuts. Again, 
this is this is what happens when you believe government lies and when you believe the COVID lie and endless other lies is you start to actually say things like this. This is preposterous. No one should have been going door to door. If anybody should have been going door to door, it should have been somebody saying government is lying to you. Don't take the shots, don't wear the mask, and don't comply. That's the only thing that should have been taking place, but that didn't happen. So here's him and his proposals in the last four minutes plus of him on the People and Policies podcast in three, two, one. Uh, maybe we decide that we're we're going to be like invest heavily in mental health, and this is how we're going to measure that. Like we need we need that measurement. It can't just be a blank check. Um, or it could be like we, we want to make sure we we keep our our teaching staff and, and that we're investing in our teaching staff. Other stuff might have to fall off, but we need to align on those five goals as a starting point. Mental health is an interesting topic to bring in. Is that one of your concerns um, that the district should be addressing? It, it's uh, so my, my wife is a therapist, so um, I, mental health is important. Uh, we need to we need to make sure that we are the. We're getting the results that we're paying for. Um, that can be really hard to do, um, but it's worth having the discussion. Um, I mean, here's an example. So during COVID, we needed a lot of social workers to go out to houses, like work families through this. Um, and now we have to, now after COVID, we have to look at uh, what are our, our needs now and make sure that we are meeting those needs. So I'm I'm not like super strong. Um, Pro mental health or for mental health. I'm 100 for mental health, but I want to make sure that we're, we're at, we know what we're getting when we do that. Right. Um, so, what strengths do you believe are currently present in the school district that you'd like to build on? Yeah. So, for me, and and I'll keep coming back to this. It we have an incredibly strong community. When you look at where we live, the uh, so uh, let me give you this example. So one, one thing that we're starting to teach in schools is grit. Um, farmers understand this. <laughs> like That's why we've got programs like FFA. We've got so many kids who are just kind of growing up in the area and they might be raising a duck or goats or something. And you kind of learn these lessons. Like there's this thing that needs me at, I don't like, I want to be playing my game or I want to be sleeping in, but there's this thing that needs me. And like, that's grit. That's teaching grit. So we've got a lot of this just kind of built into our community. Um, not only that, we've got um, tradesmen, um, tradeswomen, and we have a beautiful center of higher education. So we've got all the pieces to be just an incredible school district. We just have to be really creative how we bring all these pieces together. And that, that just requires a ton of collaboration, communication, and trust. But it's all there. No, no other district has this, as far as I know. Yeah. So that's, that's what I'm most excited about. Definitely. So bringing in your, your farming background a little bit as well. There you go. Um, and do you have, like, ideas of how this could be incorporated into, like, curriculum or in the classroom specifically? For We have a wide range of ages in the district as well. Yep. So This is the cool thing about teachers. So teachers they're kind of like entrepreneurs in a way they wear a ton of hats um they manage they manage their schedules for their students um they have budgets they know how to manage their time they also talk to all of our parents so they're just like 
teachers have done amazing things in terms of building these partnerships. I, I think that's like we should lean into that some more and, and really show teachers like, yeah, we we want to help as a community, we want to create opportunities, um, want to explore your ideas with you. And that's where I would focus. Definitely. Um, so that is kind of all I have for you. Is there something else about your campaign that you'd like to, to discuss? No, I, I think we covered the gist of it. Um, just really hope I uh, encourage people to give me an opportunity and I would love to represent this district and this community and I'll do everything I can for it. Again, with all due respect, he said nothing. He said nothing. The inmates are already running the asylum. It's already a mental health institution. You don't need to invest more in mental health. That's not what you need. You need to stop lying to people. And that comes about as a result of unlearning what you have learned and learning the truth about the real world you live in. This is not done overnight. As you all know who listen to my show regu- with regularity, th- this is done over the course of years. It's done through investigation, reading old books, watching truthful documentaries about what's really happening, both in the past and in the present. This is not done through going door to door and advocating for more mental health and throwing money at that issue if you think that that's important. That is not. That is not what matters here. Again, I'm glad he's a farming advocate and an advocate for individuals who farm and want to have their own businesses. Good for him. But that's not the role of teachers either within classroom settings. You ask your average brainwashed teacher what they want, they'll say, stop bothering me. I want less professional development. I want more time off. I want to be left alone. That's what the average American K-12 school teacher would say. They're not necessarily wrong, but they're worn out because of the constant psychological operations that have taken place on them, the constant abuse that's taken place. They're brainwashed, and they're tired. I get it. It makes sense. But one school board member isn't going to have a difference on such a thing, in particular when that school board member doesn't know what's really going on and doesn't understand the depth of the deception here. But this is what these individuals continuously believe. They believe things that are not real. And then they react to them, constantly reacting to them. Whether it be the COVID lie and this one, which needs to be brought up, the fake school shootings. Every fake school shooting that takes place, these people who work in these environments believe it, hook, line, and sinker. Now why? They believe them because they are not thinking people. They're incapable of recognizing that people lie, that law enforcement can lie, that school districts can lie, and that government can facilitate that lying along with the help of the media. This school district believed the Sandy Hook shooting, which was fake, no one died. They believed the Uvalde shooting, which was fake, no one died. And they believed the Nashville shooting, which was fake, and no one died. Now, someone listening to this for the first time would say, Sean, you sound like a crazy person. How can you possibly say that no one died in those things? And why would all those people then lie about it? Because people lie about things. That's why. And I've investigated all three of those things, as you can do too. Endless documentaries have have been produced that prove this beyond a reasonable doubt. Anybody can look into this. But that's because the American K-12 school district is reactionary. 
They are not investigative in any stretch of the imagination. And then what do they do? They implement policy based on a lie that raises costs, changes the mind frame of the individuals who work within, continues to brainwash them. And why is that? Because the CIA is directly involved with American K-12 school districts all across the nation. They work hand-in-hand with the Department of Education. They work hand-in-hand with the largest school districts in the United States and even the small ones too. No different at the university level, same thing. The CIA is involved. Always has been. In fact, my specific background and the books that I've written and the research that I conducted have also proved that these were fake, that most of these school shootings that take place are not real. The one involving Ethan Crumbly in Michigan, that happened. But many of these other ones are completely fake or there's some truth wrapped into them, but most of the story is fake. Again, my own PhD research points to this that violence prevention and conflict resolution, curriculum, professional development, etc., etc., in particular professional development among educators in school districts does not work. In fact, it has an opposite effect. It makes the places more violent, and it makes the places more brainwashed into believing things that are not real. It's a massive distraction. But what do the likes of Ed Thoreau, the superintendent in this town for this school district, what has he said publicly regarding these fake school shootings? It's such an abomination. This is terrible. It's happening again. It's all happening again. And we are upping our efforts to make our students and staff safe with more training, more training, more training. It's all a lie. And they get everybody to buy into it hook, line, and sinker because it's designed to demoralize panic, scare, and a thousand other things in order to make you a slave to the environment. I said it at the beginning. It's not going to matter who wins and who doesn't in this school election, in my humble opinion. But if you're going to vote for a singular issue, it needs to be the levy in the future. Because voting for the people who want a levy in this election who want a levy for the next election, that's going to be a huge problem. There are three individuals that want a levy in the future openly right now, 100%. That's Chris Otto, Kathleen knight Abowitz, and Rebecca Howard. Those are the incumbents. They have to go. And if the other individuals, again, decide to vote for a levy next year, and they end up winning this year in this election, well, then you'll have your enemy. You'll know exactly who the enemy is. It will be them too. Only Ivan Carver was the one running on, we can't have a levy, we can't do this. He's the only one who said it. Everyone else either said, yes, I'm all in, or let's leave it up into the air and we'll cross that bridge when we get there. Ladies and gentlemen, that's a big problem. That's a big, big problem. So, allow me to wrap up here. In summary, what has the current school board and current city council done in Oxford, Ohio? They have engaged in the largest psychological operation 
that has killed more people than any other previous psychological operation. That's number one, which, of course, directly led to the injection of a biological weapon on more than one occasion within endless individuals. They don't know this because coming to that realization would mean they would have to sell all of their belongings, sell their house, move out of town, or they'd throw themselves off a bridge for what they themselves participated in if they ever came to grips with the truth in what they've actually done. They've never apologized for the child abuse. They've never apologized for businesses financially struggling because of their own policies and procedures and illegal ordinances. They've never done any of that. To vote them back in is a colossal mistake. Regarding the school board, the current members of the school board who are the incumbents were also responsible for covering up massive illegality, including the illegality of one of their middle school business teachers when it came to the sexual assault of a female student. And ladies and gentlemen, when someone makes apologies for a pedophile, what does that make those people? Those people are called pedophile apologists. And when it comes to the old wood chipper of pedophiles, the only person who needs to follow the pedophile into the wood chipper is the pedophile apologist. All three incumbent board members allowed that business teacher at the middle school after groping at least two students on year, years apart, I might add, they let him resign after it being found that he violated multiple policies based on their own lawyers and own investigators' findings. They let him resign instead of firing him. He was also not brought up on criminal charges at the county level at the prosecutor's office because they said, quote, well, we, 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 can, we can't prosecute this. There's just not enough evidence. Bullshit. There was plenty of evidence. And they thought that burying it and making it just slip away would somehow make things easier on them. They are sorely mistaken. And remember, the current president of the school board, Pat Mead, and David Bothist, who both sit on the board right now and are not up for re-election this year, they were involved too. They all voted to have that pedophile teacher resign instead of be fired. Could have been a very simple vote. We recommend for his firing immediately. And then they go around the horn and they all say yes. They'd have been on the right side of history. But nope. They chose the typical criminal cover-up just like most school boards choose. Same thing with the mask wearing in the past. They also pushed the fake COVID tests on people. They also allowed for children to be locked in rooms by themselves because they would cough or sneeze during the COVID lie until their parents came and picked them up. They would basically quarantine them in the school as if they were actually sick when they weren't. They're child abusers. And the worst kind of child abuser, I might add, is a brainwashed one. The child abuser that thinks that they're actually helping when in fact they're not. That's the worst kind of child abuser. 
They also have a false curriculum in their entire school district. Most of the information has been brought out now that all of the curriculum within American K-12 schools, by and large, is a lie, specifically regarding the subjects of science, literature, and history. It's all a lie. Because it's also been brought out that the owner of McGraw-Hill, the textbook company, and the online curriculum company, was a one George Maxwell. Yes, that's right. The father of Ghislaine Maxwell, who was a Mossad agent for Israel's government, and friends with Jeffrey Epstein, and working hand-in-hand with the CIA. The content in the textbooks is false. So you have brainwashed teachers teaching information that isn't even real. Keep listening to this show, ladies and gentlemen, and you'll continue to learn what some of that is. Or you can go back and listen to the past 520-some-odd episodes. Trust me, it's in there. Finally, and last but not least, these schools are financially collapsing. Because this is what happens when you set up a foundation of lies on quicksand. This is what happens. You put an emphasis in things that do not matter, and then you fund them monetarily to continue to exist, and then everything else crumbles around it. Academic success, literacy, comprehension, things of this nature. This is why these school districts cannot survive in the future. This is why I am a homeschool advocate and former American K-12 educator and adjunct university professor. The business is crumbling because it doesn't deserve to survive. If you had any grasp of the lies and the evil associated with this entire profession of American K-12 education, or even city council politics, you would want to run away from it as fast as humanly possible, because you cannot fix it. It is too deep. It is too dark. It is too insidious. It's too inbred. It's too brainwashed. There's no way around it. Now, my audience has heard me say this, and I'll say this again in conclusion. I've emailed all of these individuals all of this information before, in particular about the COVID lie. I haven't received any emails back, not one. Again, detailed emails, documentaries, books, peer-reviewed articles, a giant list. All of this is available on my website, AmericanEducationFM.com. You can check this out yourself. Download them all for free, all the contents for free. But when an American K-12 school specifically starts to collapse, the state moves in. And here's what happens. The state moves in, and they confiscate the entire school board. They take them over. They remove them from their positions, and the state inserts their own people. They'll even get rid of the treasurer and the superintendent, and they will take over the responsibilities of even those individuals. And then they will start making cuts to useless positions, useless people, and all of these, again, fake clubs, gimmicks, and nonsense that have been hoisted up as being important when, in fact, they are not. That's what ultimately happens. But I think something more important has to happen in the town where I live with Talawanda City Schools. It has to collapse permanently. 
It has to collapse. There are too many lies going on. There's too much illegality. It has to go. And like I said, yes, that means a lot of people will be unemployed. Too bad. Too bad. Build something that's not on a foundation of lies, and maybe it will succeed. Build something separate from state intervention, from government intervention and government oversight, and maybe it will succeed the way that a homeschooling family in a homeschooling environment succeed. Abeka.com is the most widely used homeschooling curriculum, and it is a Christian-based curriculum. Why? Because that's what our country was built on. That's the foundation of our country. So when an American K-12 school system starts to collapse, people will panic. Teachers will start to scream at the tops of their lungs that they need help. They need government help. School board members will claim to help, and they can't help anything. Treasurers and superintendents will claim that they can fix the problems when they can't. And then ultimately, a lack of participation is what brings down every American K-12 school. You could crush Talawanda City Schools in the blink of an eye if you just walked away permanently. And I've had guests on my show, and I still have contributors to my show, who used to work in the business and used to send their kids to American K-12 schools. And they don't anymore, and they all say the same thing. It was the best decision I ever made walking away. Pulling our children out of the K-12 school and homeschooling them with Abeka.com is the best decision we've ever made, and we're kicking ourselves for having not done it sooner. The same is true with former educators. I also talk with educators who are still in the business, and they want out more desperately than you can possibly imagine. The future of our country cannot exist on a foundation of lies any longer. It's over. Stop trying to save a failed system. You should still vote out the incumbents because they need to go. But don't try to save a failed system because it'll just fail on your watch then. And that's happening all over the United States and it's happening on purpose. And you at the local level cannot control that. But you can control it by walking away from government and government institutions. You'll be happier, healthier, and far more peaceful for doing so. Not to mention, and this is the best part, if there's no local school system, then your taxes won't go up. And no, Don't say it has anything to do with impacting your property taxes if there is not a school system around. That's not true. That's a lie. There doesn't have to be a school system in every town or city in order for people to want to live there or affordable living or jobs to exist. It doesn't hinge on the existence of an American K-12 school brick-and-mortar building. That's not true. It's just one more lie in a sea of lies. And the people, again, not picking up on this, well, I'm not sure they can be helped. But they're just going to sink with the ship. And that's fine by me. But having higher taxes for individuals, that's not good for anybody, because that drives everybody out, including people who don't affiliate with any kind of a school district or local politics whatsoever. That flushes everyone out of town.
Not to mention, in the state of Ohio, there's issue one and issue two, which is also on the ballot. Issue one having to do with legalizing abortion, and issue two having to do with the legalization of recreational use of marijuana. Do you not see the depopulation plan here? It can't get clearer. Killing babies and being high while you do it. What could possibly go wrong? Within a town, a city, or a school with all of that being legal. So make sure and check the links below for more information. Continue to listen to this show if you're interested. And I'll catch you on Friday where I'm going to have a talk with Dr. Robin McCutcheon, professor of economics at Marshall University, and we're going to talk about a number of different things. With that said, ladies and gentlemen, I'll catch you on Friday. Peace. Thank you for listening to American Education FM. Make sure and check out AmericanEducationFM.com for more information. Take care and God bless.